Welcome to the eighth edition of Behind the Helmet with NTT IndyCar Series driver Stingray Rob. I'm your host, David Hoffman, and I'm joined by the driver of the number 51 Honda for Dale Coin Racing with Rick Ware Racing, Stingray Rob. Stingray, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, David. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's a crisp morning here in Pennsylvania. How is it there in uh, Indianapolis? You know, I haven't been outside yet today, but uh, as of yesterday, it was pouring rain and a little chilly, but it looks cleared up today and probably still a little brisk that was our weather update for the day in the episode but um <laughs> yeah obviously you guys weren't able to test at indy was that friday yeah friday can't even get my day straight here right now but um yeah we'll talk about the indy 500 uh testing first day of testing for you at indy but um yeah a lot to talk about from texas to long beach to then the uh, indy tests so let's get right right into uh texas starting off uh, it was a new venue for you. I know you tested there. We talked about that in the last episode, but you know, as I knew we were speaking heading in there, how would you assess the weekend overall? Obviously, you had a little bit more track time than you know most weekends that you've had. Yeah, you know, I, I think overall Texas was a great weekend, other than the crash there at the end. But uh, going into qualifying, I knew that we had a pretty good car. David put it pretty far up in the field, and uh, I made a mistake on my qualifying run, and uh, now I know not to do that. So. I think that with that knowledge and experience, I'm better off for the future. But we started 23rd in the race, and then we just kept working our way up. At some point during the race, I think that I took a look around, and I was with a four-time Indy 500 champ and uh, a few other guys that knew, knew their way around the racetrack. So um, it was fun battling out there. And then a late restart came out with, like, I don't know, maybe 70 laps to go. And I started just moving my way through the field. It was like a light switch. And we were going – one, two cars in a turn on the outside of one and two and three and four there. So um, we were really good in traffic and I felt very confident in the car. And then pretty soon I was in P12 or P13, something like that, making a move forward. And uh, I had a, another car in front of me check up a, a little bit sooner than I was expecting. And at those speeds, you know, you're doing 215, 220 miles an hour. The closing rates are insane. And so I didn't realize how, how much they were slowing down. And I had the choice to either run in the back of them or go up a lane. And I went up a lane and uh, at Texas, we all know that there's that that sort of um, gray area that you don't want to run in because just no grip up there. And I got up there and that was pretty much the end of the day. I just walked it up to the wall, uh, hit the right side, and then that right front tire hooked. Um, it, it, it went underneath the car and hooked and it pulled me straight left into the inside tire barrier. And uh, yeah, I, I felt that hit pretty big. I know that obviously it was a disappointing ending, but just how much confidence does having a race like that where you're running near the top 10 at a completely new venue, new for you, just how much confidence does that give you moving forward, just not only on the ovals, but just on any other racetrack? No, it's big. It's really big. And, you know, after St. Pete, um, I didn't really know where we were going to land at Texas because it was a track I hadn't been to. I hadn't raced there. I hadn't been on a super speedway. And so I think I was a bit nervous going into the event just because I didn't have that knowledge of what to expect. Um, and then once we got in the race, it was like, okay, 10 laps in, my times dropped and I started like figuring it out. And so I think for me, like my confidence grew a lot just during the, during the session, during the race. And then obviously post event, I, I, I had the crash and um, there's a lot of good, good things to take away, but I also had the lesson of what not to do. So I think going forward, like my confidence level at super speedways is way up. And passing there was insane all day. I feel like it's probably one of the more racy circuits we've seen at Texas here in a while. Just how was the action from your perspective? Unbelievable. That was some of the most fun I've ever had in a, on an oval. 
Um, and like you said, I think that the series did a good job getting the cars downforce level right so that we could make moves. And that that upper lane, you know, we did um, a practice session where we just had to run the second lane, and that really worked the rubber into that line. And I think Newgarden and Pato ran that outside line for most of the race just because they could stay up there. There was good grip there, and it would hold their speed and not scrub it away. You mentioned Pato Ward and Joseph Newgarden. I mean, they were running blistering paces all day. At one point, it was only those two were on the lead lap. Just, could you feel that pace like amped up a little bit more, or how does that feel as a driver? Yeah, I, I definitely could tell that they were going faster. Um, when they went by me as they were lapping everyone else, uh, yeah, you could tell. Those were the two guys to beat, and there was no no slowing them down. I don't know what they had going on inside those cars, but um, they figured something out. They were fast. Obviously, then, uh, was it two weeks later, uh, Long Beach was up next for you, another new venue uh, for you. Turnout was crazy for that entire weekend, just from yeah. uh, different uh, celebrities, anyone else there is crazy. What was that like for you to experience just a, a venue like that? I know you've been to the Indianapolis 500 as a spectator, but just to be at Long Beach and you know, that always has a huge turnout. What was that like for you? Long Beach was awesome. Uh, it was kind of funny. The, the day before the racing started, it was 55 degrees and rainy in Long Beach, and it was 80 degrees and sunny in Indianapolis. I said, wait, 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 wait. We came to California for the good weather, not the bad weather. What is this? Swapped. So, yeah. Um, so that was kind of ironic, but the the actual race venue and everything was awesome. I got to visit there last year just as a fan. And then just to be a part of the event this year was great. Uh, there's so many people there and the track itself is pretty crazy. Um, the fountain turn is tight and the hairpin at the end of the, the circuit there is super tight. Um, and it's honestly a pretty good, uh, width for a street course compared to other tracks that we go to. Um, and so I was really surprised to see how well it raced and, uh, it, it wasn't the best race for us. We lacked a bit of pace, but overall I was pretty, pretty happy to be there. And it also is on the West coast. And so that means a lot of friends and family had to come out. And so we had about 50 people, I think at the end of the weekend that had come out from either back home to Idaho or they had moved to California or somewhere in the middle. And, uh, just just wanted to support, and uh, it was great to see them there. It's the first time that everyone's been able to come to an IndyCar race for me to watch me drive, um, so it was really fun. And obviously, uh, you know, you mentioned it wasn't like the best of races, but it was clean, and you stayed out of trouble, and that's the important thing. Just, uh, I guess, how would you describe? Like, are you able to bring much from St. Pete into Long Beach, and how do those two tracks differ from what you saw? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, St. Pete we were off the lead lap early because of the crash on, on the start. And so for, for myself, um, it became a kind of a fuel saving race. We were trying to, to get our lap back. So we'd pit a lap later than all the leaders and just try and carry it on through the, through the race. And we ended up did, we did get our lap back at some point during the race. Um, but Long Beach was much of the same. You know, we, we had to do a full on fuel saving strategy. That was the entire race was how to save fuel. And so I think for a lot of guys, they were experiencing that. It wasn't just me that had that situation. So um, that's kind of why it's turned into a single file. Uh, I, I'll say boring race. Um, not a lot going on, not a lot of passing going on, except for on the restarts, because um, everyone realized that the number that they had to hit fuel-wise was going to be pretty big. And so that meant drafting other cars, lifting where you could, um, using different throttle maps, or not throttle maps, fuel maps, so, so that you're saving more fuel. And so all that knowledge and experience I gained in St. Pete based on that subject also carried into Long Beach really well. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, and I, I knew what to expect. You know, at St. Pete, I was like brand new, fresh off the boat kind of a deal. And um, 
I really wanted to figure out like pit stops and tire strategies and all that. And I can kind of see that play out in the race. Um, you know, we started on the primary tires for the, for the event and that early caution came out and it allowed all the guys on the, on the alternates to have the advantage of the early pace, but not the disadvantage of the tire deck at the end of the run. And so they were able to get onto the primaries where I had to switch from the primaries to alternates. And so our middle stint, we were struggling big time. We had pace at the very beginning of it, but um, we were fuel saving. So there's not a lot of passing going on. And then later on in the stint, the tire deck was just massive and all the guys that were in the primaries were able to pull away. So um, it was just a, a bad yellow for us. And I could see that strategy playing out during the race, as well as just like how I needed to save fuel and where I can make moves and I think I learned a lot during Long Beach so that for the next one, I'm even more prepared. Um, and I, I think that's just part of IndyCar racing. You get more experience and you get better as you go. And uh, obviously we had a first-time winner. Kyle Kirkwood won uh, his first career win from the pole. Just, you've raced with Kyle on the road to Indy Series for you know a good bit of years now. Just even before he was in the series, what did you see out of him as a competitor that stood out to you? Yeah. Yeah, I've known Kyle since probably about 2012. We were just little guys back then, but he was always a category or two above me because um, he's a little bit older than myself. So I would always see him win races and go-karts. And uh, I remember very vividly there was a race in, in the Florida Winter Tour where he made a last lap pass on a driver to win the championship, I'm pretty sure. So um, he was always running at the front of the field, it seemed like. And then uh, as he as he got into the road to Indy, he obviously did very well. And racing against him um, was always a bit frustrating because I was always – new and he was always uh the guy and so um there's a couple times that i'd be able to challenge him and we'd race and uh he would win and i would win or whatever else and so um yeah it's cool to see him win now i think that there's a lot of guys in, in motorsports that have grown up in kind of like this generation of go-karters and so it's fun to see like all of us and where we started and where it's going and uh you know pato award colton herda um kyle kirkwood all those guys i grew up go-karting with at some point or another um and even my teammate david malukas you know those were all uh people that i've known since i was eight nine ten years old uh, obviously the new generation's really starting to creep up in here but the guys like scott dixon elio and everyone else they're still you know it's got a couple years left <laughs> um uh, then the uh, premiere of uh, 100 days to indy was before the race weekend in long beach uh Cars docuseries um how would you uh, describe the first viewing of uh, hundred days to Indy and what do you, what should we expect as uh, viewers? I am very excited to see what people think. Um, I think it's going to create good interest for the sport. You know, IndyCar has been lacking that sort of storytelling side of what other series might have. And so I think that this is a great opportunity just to tell the story of the drivers, show the characters. Um, I think that if you, if you want to watch a race, don't watch the premiere, watch a race. <laughs> um, so I think that it's just, it's more of a character development for people. Um, and I think that they do a good job of not dramatizing it and actually showing what's going on. They don't twist it. They don't manipulate the story to, to make it something that it's not. It's real. It's true. It's raw. So I think that people are going to latch onto that. And it, IndyCar is enough drama as it is. You don't need to spice it up any. It's already pretty spicy. So you got 27 of the, the best drivers in the world out there and um, there's, there's a lot going on. So I think that that allows a lot of stories to be told. And so um, I think that as the series continues, it's going to get better and better uh, just because they're going to find their, their sort of rhythm and finding out who the stars are and also uh, trying to tell the story a little bit 
more um, concise. I think early on, they're going to be flooding everyone with a lot of information that might, might not be good for the original viewer that hasn't seen IndyCar before. Um, but for someone that knows IndyCar and has watched it, I think that they're really going to enjoy the premiere. And that's what uh, is this so interesting. And it's like, obviously the series has lacked a little bit of, you know, I mean, you know, people who have watched it, been around the sport, been in the paddock, they've seen the personalities. We know they're all across the board. I mean, you got so many guys who it's easy for people to latch onto because of their personalities, but to see now with the docuseries, this is just going to be, it's going to help the sport kind of reach that new height that a Formula One drive to survive or anything NASCAR does that, you know, people may not have seen before. Yeah, absolutely. And 100 Days to Indy premieres on the CW this Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. So you guys should make sure to tune into that. Um, hopefully it's a great premiere and, um, you know, we'll keep talking about that. Maybe we'll see Stingray here in the next couple episodes as well. <laughs> so you tested and at Indy on the Oval for the first time on Thursday. That's pretty big news. Uh, just take me through those first laps of rookie orientation, the feels, the emotion, and just the raw speed that Indianapolis presents. Yeah. Well, I think it's a bucket list item for any driver to do what I did on Thursday, just to drive around Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, what a what an opportunity. It was so stinking cool. Um, and, you know, the rookie orientation is kind of silly, but uh, it's kind of funny because we're running a 15-lap period for – speeds of 205 miles an hour to 210 miles an hour to start and the cars are not made to go that slow <laughs> so uh, i'm lifting on the straightaways and and coasting and then driving it through the corners to, to create a better balance and then um for the the 210 to 215 range i'm like kind of getting better and it's almost flat and then for the 215 i just drive flat out so um, it was fun to kind of feel what the car was capable of doing at those speeds. And I had a good expectation of what the car would be like compared to what it was like at Texas. Um, but unlike Texas, Indianapolis has got one lane. So you, you can't manage the passing through two lanes. Um, and also it's a, it's a low bank track. And so that creates a different feeling than what I had at Texas. And it was also quite windy. And so the wind was pushing me down into turn three and then a headwind down into to turn one. And so that created a different balance at each end of the racetrack. So I had to adjust my tools accordingly. Um, but as the day got on, we were just working on taking small bites and figuring out what I needed from the car because at Indianapolis, it, it, it happens very quick. If the car bites, it bites hard. And so as a driver, it's really easy to become impatient and go chase whatever the issue is right away and then take too big of a bite out of it. And then the car bites back. And so, um, for me, I think that the team did a good job of kind of managing expectations and saying, hey, like, let's just take it easy. We'll run in traffic a little bit. We'll do this. We'll try this. We'll do this. Um, and my spotters did a good job of keeping me online. And I think pretty early on, we we just established, oh, okay, this is the driving line. And uh, this is how you drive around here. And that's like the one way you get around Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, so it was really good. You know, I think that I'd like to have been further up the list on my first day, but um, we we weren't last and we weren't in the wall. And uh, it was a great learning experience. And I think as we get into the month of May, we're going to be on track a lot. And so that means that we can do a lot of work um, on myself, on the car, and also that the team's going to figure out what I want. And so we're just going to keep working on that and learning. And uh, hopefully the 500 is a, a good event for us. Can you imagine just how all the track time you guys end up having throughout the month of May? I mean, you're on track for at least, I don't know, like 10 to 11 times, even before qualifying begins just 
uh, just, you know, you're, it's always going to be your most prepared event, which obviously is what you want to have. Um, yeah. So just looking at the timesheets you mentioned, uh, you, I mean, you log 73 laps, best time of 221.785. Um, just how can you improve on that? And I mean, I know they're microseconds, a little bit of speed here and there, just, and some guys, I think they're running 229. How do you find the, that eight mile an hour difference when, you know, the, the track is what it is and you know what the car is going to do. Yeah. I think it's a matter of, um, trimming out the car and getting a good tow. You know, we didn't really get a good tow towards the end of the day. Um, and so for me, I was just running on my own trying to get, in some sort of a draft to feel that arrow wash but um the way that it worked out we weren't able to to get a good solid toe down the straightaway so when you have that strong headwind going into turn one having a car in front of you punches such a big hole um so you can gain so much more speed doing that so i think for those guys that have those really really good times they'll put new tires on and they'll just go out behind a group of cars and just follow them um and not too closely they'll let them tow them along and pull them closer to the to the group and so for me i didn't I didn't get that that sort of feeling, that experience level to to feel confident doing that, um, and so the the toe didn't have that big of an advantage for us. And one final question with Indy, just you mentioned the banking difference between Texas and Indy. How much or how much can you feel that banking difference, and what can the, the difference of I mean, obviously Texas like here, and then Indy's down there. Just how much of that does do you feel within the race car, and how does that kind of affect how the air kind of pushes around your car? It's a completely different feeling um, because at Texas, you actually have vertical loading. So we're at such an angle that I, I can feel the vertical loading on my shoulders and through my body and then through my back, um, pushing me into the bottom of the seat, as well as the horizontal pushing me into the side of the car. But at Indy, you don't have that sensation of vertical loading near as much. Um, so at, at Texas, we were doing probably four horizontal and two vertical Gs. And at Indy, it's probably closer to like three and 1.2 or something you know it's it's a much lower g-force level but at the same time we're doing just as high of speeds i think part of that is that at indy um the, the the corners themselves are a wider arc and because it is four corners they're able to do that and it is also a longer racetrack and so uh the sort of sensation that i had in the car was different than in texas because of that um, it seems like Indy's more of a knife edge. You don't have the forgiveness of the banking to kind of hold you into the track. Um, whereas Texas, you could kind of feel the car rotating or, or understeering, and it wouldn't be a snappy sort of a thing. It would be a more progressive uh, feeling because the banking kind of allowed the car to, to still have load on it, even when you were pitching the car around. That should be interesting, and obviously you'll get more comfortable as the month of May goes on. We only have a couple more, probably a week until May hits, so it should be interesting. Yeah. And obviously we'll be talking about that in later episodes. Uh, switching topics to quickly, uh, Barber's next weekend. I know it's one of your favorite tracks to go. It'll also be the first pure road course that you've had in your rookie seasons. How are you feeling going in there? I feel very excited about Barber because it's a track that I've been to. It's a track that is a permanent road course, so it doesn't have concrete walls holding us in. And uh, if you make a mistake, you can maybe drop a wheel or um, there's not a whole lot of room for air at Barber, but at the same time, it looks a little bit more forgiving. So you can challenge a little bit more and uh, maybe push a limit where at other tracks, if you push it and it bites back, you're going to be in the wall. So for me, I'm excited about that. Also, it's just, it's a great event. Barber's a beautiful racetrack. It's got great elevation. 
Um, I'm interested to see what, what we roll off the truck with for a package. We had a test there earlier, earlier this year. And, uh, I think that we learned a lot that day. So we'll see how it goes. I'm excited about it. I think it'll be fun. It's been a bit of a slower start this year with the scheduling gaps in between so far, but with, without any consecutive weekends yet, does, do you feel it'll be easier going, getting into a rhythm of things once, uh, you know, being able to build off performances once the summer kicks in and you're really starting to run on consecutive weekends? Absolutely. I think that for myself personally, I recognize a need to be in the car consistently. And we've spoken about this before. You look at any other athlete, you know, basketball, baseball, football, they can go outside and hit a golf ball or they can go outside and shoot hoops or whatever else. We don't have that luxury so much. We can't just drive our race car every day. And so for, for most of the year, we're spending time outside of the seat preparing to get into the seat. And that's not very intuitive in the sense that the best practice that you can have is actually doing the thing that you're trying to get better at. And so for me, I just know that my, my brain processes things in a much more um, experience-based way. I'm going to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And that's how I learn. And I think that's how anyone learns. But um, I noticed that I'll, I'm more of a creep up on it. And then once I get it, it's like a light switch and that'll come on. And I think that just as we get more into the season, the more consistent the races are, that light switch might come on a little bit sooner. And that light switch might even come on a little bit more at Indy because you're logging those laps. So it should be a really interesting month of May here coming up. And obviously Barbara as well. Uh, Stingray, are you ta- are you ready for random question generator? I'm ready. Here we go. Actually, it's David's question generator, but uh, <laughs> so very hypothetical question here. Every single racetrack in the world is getting demolished in one big swipe, except one. Which one would you save and why? Oh man, that is a ridiculous question. <laughs> You're welcome. In um, <laughs> all the tracks in all the world, that is uh, a lot of tracks. Man, I can only save one. I can only save one. Ah, um, I'm gonna say Laguna Seca because it's close enough to Idaho that I could make a trip out. Um, it's also a beautiful area, and the track itself is legendary, and there's nothing quite like the corkscrew, and it also races pretty well. You can still make passes, you can still enjoy it. So um, I think overall that's the one I would say, but that's tough. That's really tough. That's a, yeah, that's a great, um, track too. Cause yeah, you mentioned even, I was just thinking outside of it and you got like all just the sites around it. And then, you know, the track itself is such a cool racetrack. I mean, you got the big old hill you can watch barreling down the corkscrew. I mean, that's just that you, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, for me, I, it's either Indy or Watkins Glen. I, I have to say Watkins Glen just because I've been there so many times and it's just it's just like one of those things where you're like it's like it's my baby you know <laughs> yeah. I can't get rid of that you know so I say Watkins Glen definitely I think it's a choice to race there too I agree hundred <laughs> percent hopefully in a couple of years oh I saw Milwaukee I guess IndyCar is in talks with Milwaukee or something so that could be interesting Milwaukee mile back soon maybe it could be um we'll see how that goes I I don't have experience there but. From what I hear, it would be an interesting venue. It would be kind of like Gateway in a way, but its own little animal in itself. Yeah. Uh, if you could star in any movie, any movie in the world that's ever come out, what would it be and why? Oh, man. Um, I just watched the new Avatar movie. 
And I think that that would be really cool to be a star in uh, because I feel like all of the different things that they're doing, because it's not just CGI, it's like very intuitive filming. I think it'd be pretty fun. Pretty fun to, to be a part of that. I haven't seen the new one yet. Where is it at? Is that on Disney Plus now or something? It's on or Amazon. Amazon, okay. Yeah. I'll have to watch that then. So you'd be one of the uh, the blue avatar people running. Yeah. Around. Yeah. I think it'd be kind of fun. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I didn't think about that. I'd say, I mean, as someone who watches Star Wars, I feel like on a weekly basis, I'd, it'd be cool to be <laughs> Star Wars. I mean, newer ones, being able to shoot one of those guns, be a stormtrooper, something like that. I don't know. It'd just be cool. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I agree. And final question. Was a little, I, I just dug in the back of my brain for this one. Is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> Is a hot dog a sandwich? I mean, I would qualify a sandwich a piece of protein between two pieces of bread. So you cut the hot dog bun in half, sure, it'll be a sandwich. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's like, it's not regular bread. It's just, I mean, there's no cheese. I guess you could add cheese. All right. You could add but, cheese. Yeah, I don't know. That, I've, I've seen <laughs> dogs with like, they like infuse the cheese in it and then, <laughs> then you boil it or something. I don't know. That's just sounds nasty to me. I don't yeah. know if Road America sells that kind of thing, but that'd be kind of. I think I think Road America is pretty good at staying true to their their classics and just doing the brats. I think that they're good at that. Yeah, maybe we'll have to try that sometime if I ever head out there. There you <laughs> go. That's all the time we have today for another episode of Behind the Helmet. Uh, we'll look out for another episode here uh, after Barber. We appreciate you guys for tuning in. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Behind Catch. And where can fans follow you, Stingray? So you can follow me on all social medias at Stingray Rob. My Twitter is at Sting underscore Ray underscore Rob. And then Rob is spelled R-O-B-B. And uh, if you guys want to follow along on the IndyCar circuit, we are broadcast on NBC Sports and the NBC Sports broadcasting app, which is Peacock TV. And our next race is coming up next weekend at Barber Motorsports Park. And Stingray mentioned it. Make sure to tune in to the Children's of Alabama Indy Grand Prix, April 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern time on NBC and Peacock. Well, thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next time.